Wouldn't it be awesome if all Christians consistently looked, act, acted, and spoke like Christians? Wouldn't that be awesome? Like everyone you know at church here, everyone you know in your life, everyone on Instagram or in the world claims to be a Christian, they all would like look, act, and speak like they're actually Christians. Like their walk matches their talk. Wouldn't that be awesome? You included. Wouldn't it be awesome if you could be consistent with your actions and your words and your relationships to really honor the Lord with not just the talk, but with your actual walk? Well, that's what we're going to be focusing on this morning. And that's not as easy as it sounds, right? Because a lot of us would sit and say, well, what do you mean by walk? Like, what kind of walk? Or describe what you mean by walking the walk. What is that, you know, goal? What's that lifestyle look like? Isn't that all different? You know, don't we get to decide on that for ourselves? Or, you know, don't you know that Christians disagree about what that walk looks like? What is a manner worthy of the Lord, walking in the manner worthy of the Lord? So even though we could all agree, it'd be awesome if we all looked, acted, and spoke like Christians, we have to decide on what that looks like. And actually, we don't have to decide. We just have to listen to God and open our hearts to his word, and he'll tell us. And that's this morning what I believe the Lord wants to do, is he wants to tell us what a man or worthy of the calling, worthy of him, looks like. So grab your Bibles and open up to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. We've been in this series, in this series all summer in Ephesians. And we pick it up now in chapter 4, as Paul gets incredibly practical, so exceedingly practical. You will feel challenged as you hear these verses today. I feel challenged even as I share them to you. He's built three chapters of this incredible identity about who God is and who we are in Christ. We've been united, we've been adopted, we have grace that's been lavished on us. Before the foundation of the world, we are chosen to know him. All the spiritual gifts have been poured out on us. We've been saved by grace through faith, and that's all Christ. That's not our own. And on and on, these incredible doctrinal truths that really anchor us in God and anchor us in his truth, his spoken word. Incredible confidence we should have as sons and daughters, loved, forgiven, and accepted by God. But then it's like, okay, so now you got to go live that. Now you got to go live out that identity. What is That living out, what is that manner worthy? Well, that's where he goes next. So we'll pick it up, Ephesians 4, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So he talks about this walking, this this lifestyle of a manner worthy of the calling, worthy of God. What is this calling all about? what, What are the specific descriptions even that Paul gives right here? Well, the first thing he starts with, I think it's just a reminder that he's a prisoner of the Lord. That this calling is costly, can be very costly. That Paul was in prison literally because of his faithfulness to Christ and to the gospel. And the Roman Empire didn't want him spreading the word even further. And he was like, nope, I'm going to tell people about God and about this new kingdom that has come in Christ. That Jew and Gentile will realize there's no distinction anymore. That all are welcome to come to Christ. That literally Christ said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Paul was saying, and the kingdom of heaven is still at hand through Christ and what he did for you on a cross. And he was locked up. He was shackled 
for his faith, but he said, but the word of God is not shackled. The word of God is free and powerful. And he was sharing that calling, and it was costly for him, and it's costly for you and I when we realize what an identity we've been given, but not to focus on self. The identity that has been given, the blessings have been given, the, the gifts have been given so that we actually are so full of God we can't help but love other people with the love of God. That we literally can't contain it. It's like you're, you know, you buy something new and you're so excited and you want to tell whoever, you know, anyone that'll listen, like, this is the best thing, you'd be incredible, man, yesterday, and you just, you, you gush, and you go like, wow, look at me. <laughs> I can't stop talking about that thing or that, that new idea or whatever. Well, with the Lord, at an infinitely greater degree, that the love of Christ spills over and it affects the way that we walk and talk and respond to others. And that's what he's talking about here, that it's a costly, different calling. It's not like the world. It's going to require sacrifice on your part, just like the one who gave you life sacrifice. Now your life becomes a sacrifice, a blessing to others. So the very one who saved you and set you free and rescued you from yourself from your pride and your sin, is now setting you on your feet on the rock of Christ and saying, okay, now you're stable. Your identity is set. Now go be a blessing. How? I'm going to describe that. And then he does. And he uses these words, humble, gentle, patient. Are those usually first on your list for like the next goals that you have for your life? Wow, I need to be. I'm looking at a hockey player over here, so this is really fun. Try to be gentle on the ice, right? Try to, try to be humble on the ice. Try to take that like to your, your world. You know, I know you love hockey, Brett, right? But I mean, the same is true to me. In every area, can I say, I want to be humble and gentle and patient in my parenting, in my marriage, in my relating to neighbors. And so he describes this manner worthy of the Lord as humble, gentle, and patient. But let's talk about those words. We have to understand them. To be humble, to always take the lower position or view of self so that you can lift up and encourage others. To always take the view that this person is more important than me. We'll see in Philippians in a minute that it's a, it's a consideration. It's a heart set. It's the way you view others. It's not that they're better. We all know we're all even and equal before the cross, that we've all sinned and fallen short. We all need Christ's salvation just as much as the next guy and not more and not less. There's no staging or steps before the cross. It's flat and it's even and it's level and we all stand there before the cross with the exact same need. So that's why we see Paul also in his letter to the Philippians in, in Philippians 2, 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. And then in James 4, the same idea, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Does that describe us? As Paul is saying, to be like Christ is to consider others better than yourself. Like Christ came not to be served, but to be a servant. Now I understand that phrase right there may be one of the most famous phrases your ears have ever heard if you've ever been in church. But the point is not do we know it. The point is not can we even repeat it or even give the reference. The point is do we live as servants to other people looking and lifting them is more important than ourselves. That's his point. And that we understand that God wants to pour grace on us as we choose humility. But he opposes our pride. Anywhere where we want to stick up for our rights and stick it to that other person or be better than or compare a critique or gossip. What are we doing? We're 
looking to pride to satisfy some longing in our own heart that only can be filled by Christ. So he says, I will pour grace on you when you choose humility, but I will oppose you in every area of your life where you're proud. In fact, he wants us willingly to crucify our pride. There's a quote from C.J. Mahaney that says, no matter our age or vocation, humility is our greatest friend and pride is our greatest enemy. I like that. No matter our age or vocation, humility is our greatest friend and pride is our greatest enemy. Do we look to build friendship with pride? Do we recognize, or with, with humility, do we recognize that we should be fighting pride as an enemy? Then we're on the right track going the right direction. Then we know, wow, we're walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. Humility. And then he talks about gentleness. What's that about? It's mild disposition or meekness. And a lot of people think of gentleness as weakness, and God defines it as meekness. And that meekness is the character of Christ. Was Christ weak? Not a trick question. <laughs> he was God. But he chose to come humbly and he chose to be meek. And in fact, the self-description that we see in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your soul. You'll find rest for your soul in the depth of who you are when you give up pride, when you fright pride like it's an enemy and you welcome humility like it's a friend. When it defines you more and more in every single relationship, you're growing to be more like Christ. And you're walking in a manner that's worthy of the calling that he's placed on your life. Because it frees you up from having to compare. Is anyone in this room tired of comparing yourself? Tired of comparing your body with someone else's body? Or that picture? Or that person? Tired of comparing your, your intellect? Tired of comparing your, your humor? Your looks? Your wealth? your car, your house, your reputation. Is anyone tired of what the culture says you must do? And Jesus is saying, I'm rescuing you from that. Like, come to me in meekness and humility, and I will teach you. Take my yoke on you. It's easy. Compared to the world, it'll crush you. The yoke of the world crushes people. But the world keeps it going. It's just like, well, no, rise up, dig down, get, get it from yourself, keep competing. Why? Because you gotta be better than. You have to at least be better than average. And who's average? All those people. So we look down on average. We look down on, you're average. So am I. We're just people. We're just created in God's image. We're uniquely and deeply loved, created in God's image. But we're no better. In fact, if we saw ourselves as servants, as 200 servants that will go out and serve people this week, like Christ in meekness and humility, we really would be growing. Like this is transformative stuff, you guys. This is not, oh, I get that. I'm supposed to be humble. This is like, am I humble in this relationship? I don't feel it toward that person at work. I don't want to be toward that neighbor. This family member has hurt me, so now they get rejected. I carry a grudge, push them away, talk about them behind their back, or whoever it is, or something on Instagram or whatever, right? Any social media stuff, you're like, wow, my pride just rises up. And Jesus is saying, fight that. Take my yoke, which is easy. My burden is light. Be gentle and humble in heart like me then you will find rest for your soul. Meekness is not weakness. This gentleness is the power of Christ, but under control. It's like a well-trained horse. I love this illustration. It's not original, but I like it. Um, 
A well-trained horse. I don't know how many pounds. Anyone knows how many pounds horses are? Like 2,000, 3,000 pounds, right? Incredibly strong. You don't want a horse to buck you, kick you, or even like nudge you with their head. You'll go flying. Incredibly powerful animal. Incredibly useful when very well-trained. All through the centuries, well-trained horses can accomplish a lot in battle, in fields, and whatnot. For enjoyment, riding on a horse, you know, going really fast around barrels, you know, the barrel racing they do, jumping over stuff, you know, the dressage, the, the racing, all that. Horses are powerful animals, and when they're well-trained, you can literally lay the reins on this side of the horse's neck or on this side, and if you lay it to the left and keep it there, a well-trained horse will continue to go what? Left. Back to the middle, straight. You lay it on the right side, he's going to go right. If he continues to feel a little, little bit of pressure on the right-hand side, a well-trained horse will continue to turn right, keep going right, keep going right, keep right, or with the pressure of your leg, one side or the other. Those of you that ride horses understand that. It takes an incredible amount of training to get a horse there. Power under control is the picture of the Christian. The power of God through the Holy Spirit, but under the control, under the meekness and humility of Christ. We want to usually control others and control our situations. But we don't often say to God, Lord, will you control me? So I can go instead of as a controller to this relationship, a controller to these circumstances, a controller to my family, a controller to this you know, environment, I actually go controlled by the Holy Spirit to be meek and gentle and a servant and be humble. Then we're actually walking in a manner that's appropriate for calling ourselves believers, that's fitting with the calling that he's placed on our life, that we bear with one another in love. And he kind of sums it all up there, bearing one another in love. When people's ways are different, when you get annoyed by those ways because they're different, instead of a normal response, instead of maybe pushing back, barking back, being upset, talking about the person, avoiding the person, all those different things we're told to bear with one another, how? In love. To overlook an offense. As scripture says, to forgive how many times? Seven times? <laughs> Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. Oh, well, wait, okay, give me a minute. Um, 70 times. Okay, so that's when I get off the hook at 491. And I think Jesus is like, yeah, if you can count that long. And he's like, no. But the, the point is, you just, you don't keep track. We don't keep track a record of wrongs, 1 Corinthians 13. You do, you do not keep a record of wrongs. That will transform so many marriages in this room if you give up trying to repeat. Oh, well, you used to do that. Remember, you used to do that. You remember that we want to point out, we want to say, oh, yeah, but, and then it was history. I'm bringing up the history so you don't think I'm crazy because I got backup for this. That's really how you are. And, and then we want them to change immediately. Okay. I expect a little more laughter there. It actually shows that it's very convicting. <laughs> and I really think it is. We do life the way we do life. Why? Because we think that's the best way to do life. Well, when you're dead on biblically, you can say, I'm dead on biblically. But most of the time, it's preference. It's just the way I do life. It's, I like to do it like this. I like to organize the stuff like this. Or I don't like to organize. I like free-flowing. I'm more artistic. Well, I'm more organized. I'm more structured. I'm more, I like to start with this. I like to end with this. Oh, well, that's, that's there. Well, you're usually, so this way. I'm usually more this way. Okay. Preference, personality, differentness, different gifting. So the calling is to bear with one another in love, to forgive one another, to tolerate one another, to overlook an offense with one another. And just remember 
your way because you do it your way is not better than the way they do it, whatever it is. You might want to convince them, yes, it is. This is more efficient. We're going to save more money. We're going to, and you know what they may say? You know what? I don't want to save the money there. I want to save the money over here. I'd rather just relax with that. You see what I'm getting at? You, when you think you got the argument, no, 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 there's the same more money. They're like, that's not where I want to save the money. <laughs> oh, well, I'm more right because I want to save it there. No, you're not. Maybe they're more right to they want to save it over here. Well, maybe that approach, well, when we can all humble ourselves and go like, oh, that's how you just like to do it. Okay, maybe I'll adjust. That's a great, a great thing. Consider them more important than yourself. So if that's the way they like to do it, instead of fighting for my 50-50 or my rights or me reign or have control, I think I'll just consider them more important than myself, and that's the way they like to do it. I guess I'll, I'll do it like that. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're going like this in your heart. You're going, oh, so I have to be doormat. That's what you're saying. Cave in all the time, right? Just be doormat. Just say yes to her. Just say yes to him all the time. No, but I am saying just know these scriptures, take them to heart and have them running through your mind and your heart every day of your life and let Jesus tell you through his spirit when you need to say, I'm going to let that go. That's not worth it. I'm going to do it that way. I'm going to give grace. I'm not going to bring it up. I'm not going to keep the record of wrongs. This is transformational if we would just take it to heart. That's a lifestyle that requires the power of the Holy Spirit. Anyone want to agree with me there? That will require, what I just described in the 10 minutes, will require the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, or literally you didn't hear me, you fell asleep the last 10 minutes. That is how hard this will be, but that's what it requires, the Holy Spirit literally leading you, controlling you, empowering you to be humble and gentle and patient and bear with one another in love. And you're doing that fine, and all of a sudden they say that or do that, and you can't believe it, and it ticks you off. Right? You can have that going for maybe a total of three minutes. Until someone crosses you, or now you're waiting in line, or they did it again, or they always do it. When are they going to? Right? You feel like you have to say, Lord, your gentleness, your meekness, your humility right now. I'm going to trust you to bring rest to my troubled soul as I take on your yoke and learn from you. That's how you were. You didn't demand to have your rights. You were a sheep that went to slaughter and did not open your mouth. You trusted the Heavenly Father's plan and His love for you, and you were secure. God, help me to be like my Savior. Jesus, help me to be like you. And then we will. And as we do that, we get to protect the spirit of unity and the bond of peace. Do you see, if you're like that with others, and others in this body are like that with you, you know what you're doing? You're protecting the unity that He's given us. What's that unity? Here it is. That he's given us, and Paul lines this out, and I love it. This unity, one body, Christ is the head of each local church and the worldwide body of Christ. So it's his body, the body of Christ locally and around the world, with him as the head. One Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives all of us rebirth in Christ or we're not born again. John chapter 3, and fills us and empowers us and seals us, Ephesians chapter 1. One hope, there's salvation in Christ and in Christ alone. The only hope for mankind and the only promise and guarantee of heaven. That's the hope that's in Christ. One Lord, he's the master, you're not, no one else is, Jesus is. What's the master telling me? Well, how's he instructing and guiding me? He's the sovereign over the universe and over my life. That brings great unity to all of us. 
One faith, one biblical gospel that we place our faith in. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. One baptism. After conversion, we are all baptized into Christ. It's an act of obedience following uh, our confession of faith in Christ and knowing he's forgiven and rescued us. If you haven't been baptized, it's biblical, and and you're commanded to take that next step of obedience. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. One God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what an incredible unity. That's you. What I just read, that's you. That's the people you're sitting near. That's people in Uganda worshiping God right now, in the Philippines. That's people down in L.A. or in T.O. That's us. One body, one Holy Spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, over all, in all, and through all, for his honor and his glory. That's unity. There's nothing else that exists like that in the world. It can't. There's there's nothing even close. It's the God who created us, created us to know him, and has drawn us together to have very strong, powerful unity in and through Christ. Now, who wants to attack that unity? Satan wants to attack that unity like crazy. He wants you to not be humble, gentle, and patient, and not bear with one another in love. He doesn't want that. Why? Because that will divide us if you're, if you're not like that. He knows that if you are disunified in your heart, you start sowing seeds of comparison or suspicion or discord. If you start judging or gossiping about so-and-so, if you have unrealistic expectations of others or judge them, it's going to just chip away at the unity of the body of Christ in this church or any church. Satan would love that. It's what Christ went to the cross to die for is our pride, our separate ways, our desire to be right and have it our way. He died for all that so we could be unified in him and submissive to him. But we have an enemy. We have an enemy that wants to bring false teaching. He wants to bring criticism that divides. He wants anything to happen that would create pride and ego and division. So we just have to know that. Paul says we should be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. That means it's like we're, we're always ready. You're, you're just always on the brink. You're just always ready to protect. You're, you're that way with your family, aren't you? You want to always protect your family. You're always ready to jump to protect your family, protect your marriage, protect your, your kids. Like protect this family. Have that same attitude. Eager to like, wow, there's some division. I should go talk to that person. That person's like ignoring me. Like every time I walk by, they turn and go, I, I guess there's something between us. I didn't know that there was, or I guess there is. I, I need to do what? I need to pursue unity. I need to have a conversation privately with that person. Or I know there's a problem. We both know there's a problem. In fact, I'm ready to leave this church because of that or because of whatever. I hope they leave or whatever. Like, okay, you got to be eager to go pursue unity and resolution and reconciliation with that person and mean it from your heart for the honor and glory of God and the calling on you and the calling on them. You know, in Matthew 5, where the person's coming, it's a parable. They're bringing their worship to God and they, they're bringing their gift to God. And Jesus says, leave the gift and go get reconciled with your brother. That's for everyone in this room. The worship is not, oh God, you know, you and me, like this is awesome. I'll sing these songs, it's really cool. And, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit goes, oh yeah, but you're still angry with that person. You still have an attitude. You're, you're, you have hatred in your heart. Leave your gift. You can come back and give that to me, worship me. But now I want your worship to be 
obedience to reconcile, protect the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace with that person. And you go and you do that. Now, as God calls you and many of us today to do that, can you expect a certain response from them? Yes or no? Can you expect a certain response? No. You can't control the outcome. What can you control with the power and help of the Holy Spirit? What can you control? Your heart toward them. So you can, if you would want to, obey these scriptures bluntly and in a transformational way and go try to make it right with that person from your side. And you do it lovingly after prayer and you do it privately. And you just leave the outcome and you pray that the Holy Spirit would help that person receive that, know it's from your heart. And you don't go because it was, you think it was your fault necessarily. Maybe it was. You're going because God's calling you because you know there's something between you and that person. You take the initiative because the Holy Spirit's convicting you because he wants to protect the spirit of unity and the bond of peace in your heart and in this body. And you're the one convicted, so you'd be the one being disobedient if you didn't do what he asked you to do. But by the power of the Spirit, you will do that, and you'll go. It doesn't matter which one goes. He wants both to go, but his point is, you should both be hearing this. It's both in the Word, or it's in the Word. Both of you could see it. Both of you know there's something up. Go deal with it. Lovingly, humbly, gently in love, and bring reconciliation so that this unity that God gives is protected and maintained because it honors God. So we have a powerful witness in the community. So as people come into this body, into your life group, into your men's group, into that golf outing, they see something powerful about unity and peace and patience and gentleness and humility. They see it. They, it's tangible. They, they witness it. They see you with another dude, you with another, another gal at some event or in town or whatever, and they're just seeing something tangible that's so different than the world. Isn't it? Isn't this different, what I'm reading? Isn't this different? This is so different, it's not funny. It's so different if we literally live it, if we just talk about it, or this is just another sermon, makes no difference. But we're being called, and I'm being called to go live this. You're being called to go live this. So wherever you need humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, just say, Lord, crucify anything except that in my life. Take the pride from my heart. Send me as a servant, loving people, making whatever gesture and peace as I can with that person. If I've wronged someone to confess it, if I know there's something between us, whether I think it was in the wrong or know what it was, I go because I have God telling me, you go. And that's what he's telling us. And I believe me, you're going to like, oh, and you're going to pray and you're going to tell your husband or your wife or your friend, I got this thing I got to deal with. I don't want to deal with it. Last time I, you're going to wrestle with it. Great. You know what's going to happen? You'll be on your knees praying about it. You won't be able to get it off your mind and heart until you do it. That's good. That's growth. That's Christianity in actual, in actual terms. You literally will be growing before your own eyes. It's amazing how we settle with Christianity where it's not growth before our own eyes. Like we literally can go months or years without actually changing. By the power of the Holy Spirit, if you want to apply these, you can act on them and then you leave those outcomes with God and you are being transformed in the process. Actually, that could be the end of the sermon right there. This is so powerful, I think. But he has more and it builds and it holds it all together even more thoroughly. So let's move on. Verse seven. But grace, here it is, grace, and we need that. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. 
in saying he ascended, what does it mean that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He, was descend, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So these verses describe what Christ did in taking on flesh. He descended from heaven, being at the right hand of the Father in perfect unity and love, right? Came down, took on flesh, and lived a life that we can now live by the power of the Spirit. Gave his life on the cross to forgive men and women of sin if they would choose to place their faith in Christ. He rescued us so that we would not be under the grip of Satan and sin any longer. But now captives to Christ, to Christ's love and to his grace. And he said, those are the ones that I've rescued and I've poured out now my blessing and these gifts on my children. Why? Because you need supernatural gifts. You need help, grace as he called it. To go do what? To go live this calling. Because no one can do it in their own strength. Oh, okay. So I get this grace through these gifts you came down to give your life and ransom us, draw us back, go back to the right hand of the Father, and now you poured out these gifts. In the train of your victory, you're blessing your children as we follow and march behind the King of Kings. That's awesome. That's what a conquering king does and what they've always done in history. And the gifts go out because of the spoils that were gained from the enemy. What Christ gained, he took us back from the grip of Satan in our sin and reestablished us and adopted us as his own. And now he's pouring out these gifts on us that we can use to build up the body of Christ. And so he gets specific. That's where he goes next in verse 11. He starts addressing specifically what these gifts are. He doesn't list all of them, but he lists some of them. And these are important ones. Okay, so let's continue. Verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we'll no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by the craftiness and deceitful schemes. So God has given specific spiritual gifts and roles to all of us who know Christ, all of us in his church, to his church. And he does list some of them, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, those aren't all. There are others. Leadership and helps and evangelism and mercy. We talked about it a lot at this church, and you can find the full list in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. Do your study. I'm always challenging you. Dig in for yourself. Don't, you know, loving that you're coming here. This is just the taste. Dig in and have the whole meal. Do your own study. Learn about your spiritual gifts. But he does list these. So let's understand them. So Back then when they were the apostles of Christ and they walked with Christ as the original 12 apostles, they, they were eyewitnesses of his ministry and his teaching and his life and his crucifixion and his resurrection. And they went out and they shared the word and these, they planted churches and people came to Christ and grew in Christ and so on. Small a apostle these days is those that go out and do church planting and start new churches, but a similar gifting. Prophets in the Old Testament foretelling what's to come. In the New Testament, as we're told in 1 Corinthians 14, prophets are proclaimers of God's word for the purpose of edification, encouragement, and consolation of others in Christ. Evangelists, you guess what this is, right? Bearing of the good news, proclaiming it to others. We're all commanded to do that. But there's a supernatural gifting he gives certain people that do it supernaturally well. Like it's, it's, they're just very fruitful in sharing Christ and people coming to Christ. 
because there's a gift there. And then pastors and teachers to lead and feed and protect the sheep through the teaching of God's word. So those are all important. And he lists those, and then he says, and all of those together are to be used to equip others to understand their gifts. To do what? And I'll give you a hint. It's, it's listed up there. But to build up who? The body, the body of Christ. Those guys should not feel any more special or, and not better than if they've understood their calling and the, that, those spiritual gifts that God's given them, then they should use them to equip the saints to build up the body of Christ. So all of those are there to equip the rest so that everybody in the body of Christ, every single person in your row, everyone in this service and in the last service and attends Cornerstone and every biblical church, everyone has been called to know Christ, rescued by him, placed in this wonderful family for all eternity, filled and sealed with the Holy Spirit and gifted by God with spiritual gifts. To do what? To live out this calling and then to help the rest of the body of Christ be strong. Oh, you mean it's not just the pastors? No. It's not just evangelists? No. It's not just leaders? No. The leaders are important. Not just teachers? No, but they're important. How about the gifts of mercy? Oh, yeah, them too. They're very important. How about the gifts of faith? Absolutely. We need tons of people with a gift of faith. And that giving that comes when they trust God. And they can give more because they trust God. And God supplies that, you know, 1 Corinthians um, or 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. All the gifts, evangelism and leadership and teaching and, yeah, apostleship and mercy and helps and all of them, all the gifts for all of us so that we would build up the body of Christ. He said the body of Christ is the analogy he wants us to keep in mind when we think of our relationship with God and others, that Christ is the head of the body and you are a member of the body. You may be a kneecap, a big toe, an earlobe, an eyelash. Because some of you think, oh, I'm nothing. I don't know the Lord that, I haven't known, I don't know the scriptures that well yet. I'm a new, yeah, I, I'm an eyelash. Well, do you know what eyelashes do? They keep junk out of your eyes. I'm so grateful that when I'm in the backyard and I'm, you know, sawing something up and then the wind blows or whatever and I got stuff in my, yeah, but my eyelashes keep about 90% of it out. So there's a function and a purpose and a point for every single part of this body and of your body, the way God designed it. When it starts breaking down, you know it, and you want that hip or that ankle or your digestion to get back on track, right? Fast. Because your body's not functioning the way it should. But God has a purpose and a point, and he wants your body to be healthy and strong. Yes. What happens is we don't think we're actually the, an important member of the body. We may not know we're a big toe or a, a pinky or, or an earlobe. We, we don't know. So we don't think that we have much of a contribution. I know they're this and they're that and there's a pastor or a teacher or there's a personal gift of mercy. But me, I have no, no clue. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I like donuts and cars. I mean, is, is that a gifting or is that, or, or I like, I, I mean, I mean, I have a fantasy football league. I mean, but I don't really know. Like, we don't give much serious thought. Like, if you're a believer and you're in Christ, give some serious thought to this. Dig down. Realize all these other gifting are there to equip me to rise up with my gifting so that my gift of mercy helps someone with a gift of teaching. So that person's gift of faith helps that other leader. So that person's gift of helps helps that other person actually accomplish their ministry of compassion. Helps and compassion work great together. Teaching and service works great together. See what I mean? You are important and valuable to the Lord because he's giving gifts to you. Do you know yours? 
You're missing out on the fun if you don't. You're not able to protect the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace and build up the body if you don't. Any of you work out at the gym? This will be real easy. This one translates really quick for anyone who's like, ah, man, I'm putting on some weight. I got to get back to the gym. Or like, ah, man, I, I walk about four and a half steps and one, you know, and, and one flight of stairs, I'm out of breath. I got to get back to it. Or, you know, it's just like, man, I was doing this around the house. Oof. Like, so, you know, as your body gets older, you need to like keep in shape. You need to be exercised and eating well and all that. We know all that physically for our physical bodies, but the same is true of our spiritual bodies. Do we work out with that urgency spiritually or just for our bodies physically? So Paul's just saying, like, take this on. Be a bodybuilder. Build up your gifts for the sake of the body so you can build up the body of Christ. Your gifts in operation, serving and lifting other people, encouraging them to grow into the fullness of Christ. That's the language he uses here, the full, full manhood, full maturity in Christ, growing them up as you grow. Do you realize that when everyone uses their gifts, there's this cross-networking of the spiritual gifts led by the Holy Spirit of God. Remember, one faith, one baptism, one spirit, one Lord, one mass, all that, but through you with your different gifting than theirs and you serve them and they grow in Christ and they're encouraged and they serve you and you grow and then they serve and then you serve and then they and then we all serve and then they, what's happening? everyone realizes, oh, I get to serve. Awesome. Two, everyone realizes their contribution matters to God. Three, everyone gets to grow as they serve. You don't grow by hanging out and building head knowledge. You grow by knowing the knowledge, which we're knowing and finding today, right? Hearing today. But then you're chewing on it because it's good, nutritious food for your soul. And you go out and you start living it and you build up others and they build up you and we become a stronger body of Christ. So we can brag. No, so we can go out as servants into this community to be gentle, humble, and patient and bearing with them and showing them Christ, showing them mercy and compassion and love in real terms, in sacrificial terms where they go, why would you even stop and bother helping me? Why would you even be so loving? Why would you remember to call me and say I was praying for your mom? Why? Because this is going on by the power of the Spirit because we understand our gifts, we're building each other up, and then we're going out as stronger representatives of Christ. Does that all make sense? I think it does. It's biblical. If it doesn't, ask the Lord to just help you to then apply what you're learning so that the fullness of Christ can come about in every person. They don't know Christ so that they can be rescued and brought to Christ so they can grow up in Christ. So you're, the people you're sitting around right now can each be grown up in Christ. We're all at different places. There are a bunch of infants in this church that need those of us that aren't infants to come alongside and build them up in Christ. Their gifting will also encourage you, even if you go, oh, but they haven't known the Lord that. What could they ever do for me? They're supernaturally gifted with mercy, and it doesn't matter. They're one week old in the Lord. Their mercy gift will help you in your walk and will build you up. But I've known the Lord for 20 years, and they're just coming to the Lord. Does that matter? No, but go disciple and help them. Help them understand their gifts. And pretty soon, they're off and running, and you're fanning that flame. And, and you know what? Boom! And they're so gifted and so fruitful, and you're like, wow, I just helped a little. I, I literally, literally met with that person just a few times. We opened the scripture. I encouraged them. Or I helped them with their project at home. And all of a sudden, boosh, let the Lord decide where that all explodes and where the gifts and fruit is, right? But be someone who says, I will know my gifts and I'll use them. I'll let the Lord handle all the outcomes and all the fruit because I know it's nothing like me being fully engaged in the body, on the field, suited up, ready to go. 
pumping some weight, doing my cardio, watching my nutrition, and being healthy and strong in Christ, spiritually speaking. Infants, pretty demanding, right? They want to be fit. Perfect. Thank you. Okay, you can stop pinching her now. Okay, no. They want what they want when they want it, and when they don't get it, they cry. When they feel like pooping and making a mess, they poop and make a mess. Okay. I know you didn't want to say it out loud. I said it for you. Do they accomplish a lot? Nah. They lay there. They sleep. They eat. When they don't get what they want, they cry, and they make messes. But they're super cute, and we love them most of the time unless it's at 2 in the morning. Okay, my point is, that's how we all start as infants. We all have to grow, though, because we all have to make a contribution. We all have to make a difference in the body, but we all start as infants. But you and I can stay in diapers or we can grow up in Christ. We can get off the bottle and start taking on some meat, if we choose to. You literally can do that today. You just say, I don't know much, but I'm diving in. I, I need to understand more about the New Testament, but I'm going to start reading. I'm going to get in that study or get that life group. I'm going to serve in one of the ministries around here. Why? Because I've kind of been on the sidelines, busy everywhere else in my life. Totally busy, crazy. People ask me how I'm doing. I say, so busy. But I'm not really busy with the things of God or in this church or through this church. That's what has to change. I need to understand my gifting, and I'm going to throw it in wholeheartedly. And I'm going to speak the truth in love so that we all grow up in Christ. That's where he goes next. Verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Each part working properly so that the whole body, what? Builds itself up in love. Every part building up the whole. Every part building up the whole. I do my part for the rest. They do their part for the rest, and that covers me. We keep growing and strengthening in the sinews and the joints and the muscles and the bones all work together. Christ is the head. He, keep, he keeps giving us direction. I'm getting too excited. He keeps giving us direction so that we know how to do that. We understand our gifts because he gives it to us. We don't have to guess. We find out. We explore. We experiment. We get feedback. We do it more and more. More fruit, more of a glorification of Christ in this, this community more witness for him, more people are interested in finding out what has so transformed you and your family or that event or why did you all come from your church and do that? Wow, like, really? What's behind that? What's behind you? What, what makes you tick? I've had people come up to me and say, you know, that people, they say, like, why do you have so much joy? They're at work and people come and just say, like, you're always happy. Well, yeah, there's joy in the Lord, and that's our strength. That should be the responses we get. You seem so like you don't care, like you're so forgiving. Or, Well, God has forgiven me, and I really understand about forgiveness. I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. And you say, so maybe I've had a lot of practice. That's why I can be forgiving. But glad that makes an impact, or glad you noticed. Praise God, and he, and he can do that for you. Whatever, I don't know. But we should be getting the comments. We should be being a witness for Christ. That stuff should be more and more obvious in this church, through this church, and in the community. Speaking the truth in love, growing up in Christ, helping others grow up in Christ. And then lastly, it'll be the last verse I shared, Hebrews 10, 25. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, 
but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So, wow, interesting. Back then in the early church, people were already neglecting. The church was just starting, and people were already neglecting getting together. Is it crazy? They knew it. They were experiencing Christ, but they are already neglecting. You know Christ. You're experiencing Christ, but are you neglecting? Or are you pouring your heart into others in this body, building them up through your gifts, not neglecting the gathering and doing it more and more as you see the day approaching the return of Christ. We don't know how long we have. We know Christ has rescued us. He's adopted us. He's filled us and sealed us with his spirit. He's poured his gifts on us. We walk in the train of his victory behind him according to the calling and the manner of life that he's given us and modeled to us. And we then need to protect that unity. We then need to continue to meet together and more and more until he returns. That's the direction God's calling each one of us today. So walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, gentle, humble, patient, bearing with one another in love. Where that isn't existing in a relationship or there's a problem or a difference with you and someone, go resolve that with Christ's help. Keep eating the, the nutrition of the word, the truth of God's word each day so that you can grow up in Christ. You've got to feed yourself the right things. Don't neglect his word. Don't neglect the fellowship Sunday morning and other times. Just lean into those. Eat those. Like just take it in and more and more. Discover your spiritual gifts and use them to build yourself up and others in the body of Christ. Now we got to go live all that. Anyone feel challenged? we got to go live this now. We could agree with it mentally, but now we have to go actually put it into practice. So we're going to pray that we can. Um, Jason's going to come on out, and we're going to have a time to worship the Lord. In fact, we're going to do communion together. We're going to celebrate and remember the Lord. What a, it's the most unifying thing we could do is remember what Jesus did to put us in this family. So if you know the Lord as your personal Savior, take the bread and the juice and hold those, and we'll eat and drink together in a couple minutes. But use this time now to just pour your heart out to God. Great time for confession. If something's been in the way or you've been convicted of something, just say, oh, God, I've been off track here. Forgive me for this. Let him clear the road. Bring his fresh forgiveness to your heart. And then whatever resolve you feel in your heart, pray that out. Say, God, help me now to go live what I just learned from you. To not lose it right away. To go live it. So all of that. And we're going to have our offering as well. So let's just worship him for a few minutes. Father, thank you for the clarity and power of your word, the truth that it rescued us and has established us in you, so our identity is set, we're loved and accepted and forgiven by you. Thank you, Lord. We're also empowered by you to not be weak and sit on the sidelines, but to throw ourselves, our energies, our greatest passion should be you and your kingdom. Our greatest passion is you and your kingdom. So Lord, help us to make that a reality in our lives, in our day-in, day-out, normal walk. Please, Lord, help us where we want to give up and we're weak. Strengthen us where we're tempted to cave in, go back to old patterns. Give us a hunger to dive in and to study and to invest in relationships and stop being so busy with everything else. Strengthen me, Lord, so I can be a 
increasing strength to this body and help me where I'm weak with the strengths and gifts of others. Pour your heart out to him right now in your own words. Use these songs to direct your worship to him right now. Receive our worship, Lord, it's for you.